So I think that we need to instill that mindset in our, in our kids and, and tell them, hey, you, whatever you can dream, you can make and you can build. And no, don't let anybody tell you otherwise because there are going to be doubters and it may take you time. But if you're skilled enough and you're motivated enough and you've challenged yourself, you can get over any barrier. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Started Up Podcast brought to you by the Education Podcast Network. Today is one of those episodes that I think that you're going to circle, you're going to share, you're going to repeat a couple of times because we have on guest Atif Zafar. Now, Atif's not necessarily a household name in the entrepreneurial world yet, um, but some of the work that he has done is astounding, and this guy is climbing fast. The crazy thing is, is that Atif has been self-trained, and as he goes into his story, uh, he's you know he almost had to be a medical doctor because you know his family wanted it that way. But he has been self-taught in the engineering fields, and I, I think the irony is, is that I don't think Atif could necessarily apply for a job in engineering because he doesn't have the quote-unquote degree. But instead, he's out there doing huge amounts of work because he is self-trained. And his story is amazing. But when you get to the point where he talks about mindset, I, I jumped out of my seat because he hits exactly on what we need to do to succeed in having that entrepreneurial mindset. So again, I think that you're going to love this one. If this brings you any value, please share this one, because I think this totally encapsulates everything that Started Up is about and everything that we believe in on the entrepreneurial mindset. All right, enough gabbing. Without further ado, Atif Zafar. Okay, now we are joined with Atif Zafar. Atif, thank you so much for being on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, so one of the things I love about this podcast is that we get people that reach out and say, oh, you should interview this guy, you should interview this lady, and um your story jumped off the page when I was given the virtual introduction and uh, we spoke briefly and I didn't even want to get into the conversation too much because I, I like learning um, anew and asking you some of the obvious questions. So uh, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to this podcast on very little notice. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm honored that you want to join. Thank you very much. I'm happy to share my story. Okay, so yeah, what I, the introduction basically said that uh, you are trained as a medical professional and you like engineering, and so you were self-taught. Take it away. <laughs> go from there. Because some, sure, the, some of the things I heard so about... I come from a... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sure, absolutely, sure. I, you know, I come from a very traditional Asian family, uh, Pakistani, and you know, in our family, in, in our culture, typically what happens is you take the profession of, that you're of your parents. So, um, my mother, you know, is a physician and, uh, she has, uh, advised all of her four kids to become doctors and partly because it provides a very steady income and very sort of certain lifestyle and so forth. So, uh, we have four kids in the family, three of us are physicians and one is a rebel. <laughs> um, and the rebel is my brother. Uh, he actually, uh, you know, wanted to go into was actually forced to go into medicine initially, but then he changed his mind afterwards and became an engineer. Now he's more successful than all the three doctors combined. So it says, you know, uh, something about your motivation and your energy and your drive in life and how you can be successful on your own without uh, having anybody push you. Um, I'm kind of, it, it comes from the same breed. Uh, my passion is in engineering. I went into medicine partly for the uh, 
you know, for, it was satisfying my mother, but also partly because I was curious about what it offered as a, as a field. And I'm very happy I did. You know, it opened doors for me, otherwise wouldn't exist. Um, so I trained as a physician. I became board certified in internal medicine. I still practice that full time. I'm a hospitalist. I've done everything from ER medicine to critical care to inpatient medicine to being on faculty at a major university for 15 years, advancing through the ranks of being associate professor, going on to serve in Washington um, at the level of the National Institutes of Health, doing things like grant reviews. Um, I was on the committee that um, enabled the use of electronic medical records across the country. Uh, I did work with President Bush's administration to um, basically evaluate and um, evaluate and distribute up to $100 million in funding for instantiation of medical record systems all over the country. So I've kind of been there and done that. And about 10 years ago, I took a mid-career break and said, you know, I, I've done medicine for about 20 years, and now it's time for me to switch gears and do what I want to do that I'm passionate about. So I kind of started uh, doing more engineering-type activities. I met a guy at a wine tasting who wanted a physician's help in starting a new company that had a very innovative new medical device. And the idea behind this device was to eliminate the need for bypass surgery, um, heart bypass surgery, you know, carotid bypass surgery, bypass surgery in the legs, anywhere you need uh, revascularization of plaque-infused arteries that um, have the potential to cause ischemic damage to distal tissues beyond where the, the occlusion is. So, you know, there are currently two or three ways of treating that in the heart. One is to put stents in, which are basically like uh, wire meshes that hold the artery open. Um, the other uh, uh, method is to use um, bypass surgery, where you basically bypass the vessel that is occluded with a graft that comes either from the leg or from your sternum. And that is very traumatic. You know, we probably all have had family members that have gone through that. And it's, it's very traumatic. It takes about a year to recover. It costs about $100,000. So this gentleman that I met came up with a new technique to basically vaporize the plaque inside arteries using electrical energy. And now we have a company that we uh, have capitalized that is building a catheter-based technology that can actually eliminate plaque in your arteries without having to have bypass surgery. So it's going to be a, a revolution in medicine, and I'm very, very blessed to be kind of on that team that's working on that project. But that kind of got me started along the whole entrepreneurial route, um, learning how to start companies, learning how to talk to investors, learning how to raise money, learning how to give presentations, you know, what is a 10-slide deck versus a 30-slide deck, um, Do uh, how do you write a one-pager, how do you write an executive summary, a business plan, you know, things like that got me started. And then I had my own ideas. And now I have eight companies, um, you know, five, six years later that are doing various types of projects. Um, another company that I have right now is building a handheld supercomputer. Uh, we're going to do about seven teraflops or trillion floating point operations in a second on a device the size of an Apple TV that only uses the power of a light bulb. Um, and we have very, very, you know, uh, basically well-known clients that are now interested in our in our technology that we're catering to. So the road has been one of basically exploring the field of medicine in the first part of my life, and now switching gears, becoming an entrepreneur, still practicing medicine, and but moving into the second phase where I have tried to uh, fuel my own passions and and you know go the route of an of an entrepreneur and and do great things and, and you know with it. I so this is nuts. 
<laughs> I, I think a lot of times when people talk about being an entrepreneur, um, they are, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to like take a jab at entrepreneurs. I'm one myself. Um, but a lot of times when people are an entrepreneur, it's not as well like this. So let's back up. I mean, obviously the, the, the medical device that you're talking about, you went into to great length, that alone is amazing. And then now you're like, oh yeah, I started six or seven other companies. Um, when I was introduced to you from Neil, he, he explained to me a little bit about the small supercomputer and the reasons for it. Um, let's dive into that, um, especially on the, you know, saving latency time and things of that nature. Um, explain to me why you needed this uh, small supercomputer. So what's happening in the field of, of computer science right now is that Back in the eighties, so I grew up in the eighties, you know, with the Apple II, the Macintosh, and these sort of very traditional desktop systems. Um, and the the user interfaces that we we were uh, accustomed to were things like um, just a character interface or just a flat um, screen with windows and menus and nothing fancy. You know, uh, the user input was only a keyboard and a mouse. You didn't require anything else. If you look at how computing has evolved in the last 15, 20 years, it has completely changed in terms of the way we interact with computers. We no longer just use keyboard and mice. We use voice, we use gestures, we use video and audio, we use many different types of modalities to interact with our systems. The problem is the processors that are needed to basically capture that type of information and process it are different than the ones that are needed to process just static character-based or mouse and keyboard type interface, you know, uh, inputs. So as a result, we need a new class of computing systems that are able to handle this degree of parallelism, you know, parallelism and be able to handle video data, which is streaming, you know, uh, you know, images and uh, audio data, which is also streaming, you know, signals, uh, audio, audio signals. And a traditional von Neumann architecture, which is just, uh, you know, instruction level processing doesn't work for th these types of applications. You need a completely new architecture. And so uh, what has happened in, in the world of computing is that people have designed what are called systems on a chip. Systems on a chip basically take multiple processing cores and put them together on a single chip. So, for example, if you look at the Apple iPhone, if you look at the Android phones, the Samsung phones, um, all the chips that are inside it are not just the single CPU systems like we were used to in the 80s. These contain graphics processors. These contain DSPs or digital signal processors. They contain special processors for doing security, special processors for doing audio data. And so they're a conglomerate of different processing units, all basically jump, you know, um, united on a single chip. So we took the opposite approach. We said, you know, as a startup company, it's going to be very difficult for us to go and build a single chip. It costs, you know, a hundred million dollars to do a, a, a chip startup. So we we said, why don't we just take these existing chips that are there and put them on a board, but use different types of processors, um, you know, on this board. So we have one processor that's a system on a chip. We have one processor that's a reconfigurable device. We have one processor that's a multi-core architecture. And then the task is to write a software architecture, software layer that treats them all as a single processing, you know, uh, ecosystem underneath. So now the software developer doesn't have to worry about, hey, do I need to write to a GPU? Do I need to write to a CPU? Do I need to write to a DSP? 
you know, can I just use one programming language and the compiler and the underlying software architecture understands what the best processor is to run a particular piece of code. That's where we are today. That's where what's going to take us into the next, you know, uh, sort of revolution wow. in computing is, you know, agno- a processor agnostic computing where basically it doesn't matter what you have underneath. The system figures out where best to run your code. And that's what we're, we're building. That's, now, that's highly wow. compelling because, you know, as we evolve in our in the ways we interact with systems, you know, we're right now we're in the fourth computing revolution. The first computing revolution were the were the mainframes, the giant systems that took yeah. the, the you know space of, of, of big buildings, and then we went to desktop systems, which is really the uh, the second generation of computing. The third generation of computing was mobile computing, where we had cell phones and we had laptops, and you know we we went from the desktop to something you could hold in your hand. The fourth computing revolution, which was just starting now, is something called ambient computing or ubiquitous computing. Um, where you no longer have a keyboard and a mouse. The computer is everywhere. It's around you. It's, you, you wear it. It's embedded in the walls. It hears you. It listens to you. Something like the Amazon Alexa is a good example of that. You know, <clears throat> you're just, it's just there. You talk to it. Yeah. The way you interact with it, you don't use a keyboard or a mouse. It just knows you're there and you talk to it. You've probably seen Star Trek and, you know, the, the computer that's, that's ubiquitous in Star Trek. You go on the Enterprise, it just, you just talk to it. You know, there's no oh, keyboard yeah. or mouse well, or anything. You oh, just interact with it. Yeah, this is also where That's people where we are start now. getting um, like scared because this is also 2001 Space Odyssey. You know, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not exactly. going to. I'm not going to go down that trail because there's a there's about a four hour debate on that. But um, th- what what I love hearing yeah. is is that like here you are. Uh, you're hey, you're a medical doctor, right? Um, and and by the way, you, like you said you still are. Um, but the level of which the amount of learning you've probably had to like gone through in the last 10 years is astounding. And I, I love the journey because you've seen opportunities pop up. And instead of saying, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I've only been trained in this. You've been self-taught, uh, correct? Absolutely. So, you know, the way it started was uh, when I was in medical school, my brother was taking engineering classes at RPI and he would come home for the summers. And I, I was off for the summers uh, during my medical school career. And, uh, you know, I would just read his books. I said, you know, I'm passionate about this idea you know, of doing a product and, and developing systems. I don't need to go to school. I just buy a book and read it. You know, everything's available. You don't have to have a formal education to do something, you know, for yourself, if you're motivated and you're intelligent, and you can read, you can pick up a book and learn anything you like, um, and and that's how I was. And uh, so I self-taught basically all of engineering, and you know I, w- I was going to conferences um, to interact with people who are doing it. So I, I was able to network with people that had ideas that of, of you know the same caliber as mine, and they were trying to invent things, and and that's how I learned. By putting people around me yeah. that could teach me things. Okay, so let me ask you this, and I, I think I probably know the answer. Um, well, you said you, you, even though you were, and I'm not going to say the word forced to be in med, but you know you were encouraged to, to be in med, and you already encouraged. Had, right. <laughs> you you already had an interest in the engineering side. The computers, like on the computer side, was this a passion plus interest, or was this like a you just see a, a huge opportunity? 
and you educated yourself because there was such a huge opportunity in front of you? Both. I think first it was a passion and an interest, but I didn't have any ideas for how to develop a product in the space. I was intimidated because I, I never thought I could compete with the big boys, you know, like the Intels of the world or anything like that. And, but then I saw the opportunity. I said, Hey, they're missing something. And I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and fill in that gap because, you know, for example, there, there are devices right now you can buy called field programmable gate arrays. And this is where I, I really kind of became very interested in this area. Field programmable gate arrays are like basically chip factories. So think of it as a chip on which you can build your own chip. So I had, a, you know, really a lot of passion in trying to design my own computer chip. In fact, when I was in medical school, uh, and I was very interested in, in, in the field of computer graphics, uh, when I was in medical school, I designed a computer chip uh, that was a memory chip. And uh, the idea behind the memory chip was to put a little processing inside the memory chip, which is very unusual because memory chips typically just, you know, uh, that you could buy only were storage devices. They weren't, they didn't do any processing. But I saw a need where by putting the processor inside the memory chip, you could accelerate some functions, you know, by orders of magnitude. So I took that idea to my one professor I knew in engineering in my, my alma mater and showed it to him. And he said, yeah, we could build this in a class semester, not a big you know, project. It's quite simple design. So I just left it at that. And, you know, knowing that I, I was validated by this guy who was an engineer and he, he thinks I've got a good idea and he thinks that it's buildable within a class semester. So I, so I just left it at that. I didn't go and patent it or anything. Literally two years later, Sun Microsystems came out with the same design. And I was shocked. I was at a conference and I saw this chip and I said, wait a minute, that's my idea. I, but it wasn't really my idea. It was just that, you know, they were developing it at the same time and saw the same need. And then I said to myself, wait a minute, I have a talent for this. I can see things yeah. before they happen. And I said, you know, I, I need to fuel this talent. And I said, I need to nurture it. And so I just started learning more and more about this area, how to design chips. And here we are, maybe about 10 years later, you know, I'm kind of ahead, uh, you know, ahead of the curve in this space now. Where we, so the buzzword is heterogeneous computing, and everyone's talking about it. Where you're basically putting multiple heterogeneous cores onto a single die, or even into a single system. But programming such a system is is an enormous task. You know, you you can't individually program all the cores. You have to do them all at once. And so uh, we're developing a system now to actually take advantage of that. Oh man. And, um, and that's where we are. And that's we're ahead of the intels of the world right now. I mean, we've I've got a meeting with Intel in, in, in several weeks to basically talk about this. You know, they're quite intrigued by what we're we're doing. So um, what I love about that story is, is that you didn't get upset when Sun Microsystems, you know, beat you to your idea. You're like you you saw that you had a talent. And instead of bemoaning and packing Absolutely. it in, like, oh, you can't beat the big dogs. And because I, about 15 years ago, I had an unfortunate, um, and boy, I wish I would have done this in the age of social media. Um, I and a neighbor put together an interesting software package and uh, we were getting started and we ended up getting a cease and desist um, order. Uh, and even though we had a patent pending, um, it was going to cost us thousands and thousands of dollars to defend it. So we just, you know, I, it, it scarred me because <laughs> we lost out on a lot of money and it, it, we had this, well, you, you just can't fight the big dogs. Um, 
you know, I wish I would have had the Twitter and Facebook presence I did back then because I would have, you know, claimed, I mean, because they, they, they knew that we had, that we were, that we would win it, but we were going to be litigated to death. Anyway, I digress. The thing that I heard from you is, is like, okay, I've got a talent for this. And the talent for this is you, and I talk about this um, here in, in my class. This is, this is the, what I call being a seeker in a peaker. Um, opportunity seekers are always putting their, you know, their, their finger to the wind and trying to detect where some of the opportunities are coming. And, and I like people that are seekers. Um, but you also are a peeker in that you can peek around the corner and see things before a lot of people do. And I think that is, that is the, those are the most dangerous people I know. Those are the people I want to always associate with because they see some of the techniques or some of the advancements ahead of time and you can get a jump on the competition. So I, I just, I loved everything about that story that you seek out opportunities and you know, basically what genre and yet you peek around the corner and you beat everybody else to it. So that's, that's inspiring. That's, I think, you know, just, you know, because I've studied this for so long, I think I can see these types of uh, developments happening and I see the evolution of computing into the future and where microprocessors and technology are going to go probably in the next 10 years. And so my work right now is kind of driving towards that, that end uh, where we have ubiquitous computing, where, you know, you wear, you wear the computer or it's all around you and you're inter interacting with it. You don't own one. It's just there. And, uh, you know, it's, it just, uh, becomes part of your, your world, your ecosystem. And, uh, it, it, it becomes your personal assistant wherever you go. And, you know, you don't, you no longer have to seek information. Information is there whenever you need it at the right time. You know, it's yeah, just presented I, to you. I do and have to ask a though. Mode of oh, I'm sorry. I do have to ask though, are you a little bit skeptical on the, you know, Alexa hears everything you say and it can be used against you kind of thing? Or you're like, Hey, privacy is dead anyway. Let's just go with it. No, I think that these are very real concerns. You know, privacy is a very real concern. And I think that in this day and age of litigation, and I think it's very important to make sure that you protect your privacy um, in in whatever ways you think necessary. Uh, um, I'm scared. I'm, I am scared of, of that, you know, it, uh, eventuality when you will have people basically being singled out or or, you know, exposed for something that, you know, may not be maybe taken out of context and maybe, you know, presented in a negative light and it, and they suffer as a consequence of that. That's a very real possibility. So I really do think that Alexa and the other, you know, one of the things I always tell people is that technology is really 20 years ahead of our ethics to deal with it. And we really have to catch up in order to use technology properly. I think we haven't caught up yet. I think we're still in that phase of learning how to how to how to live with these these systems? Um, you know, Elon Musk talks about AI and how it can have a negative impact on society. Yep. You know, I, I kind of echo those comments a little bit because not because the technology is inherently bad, it's because we don't know how to deal with it as a as, as a society. And once we learn that, it yeah. will become much more, you know, a part of our, our 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 culture. Right now, it just scares the hell out of people because because of the negative possibilities that we all think about. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to say which uh, college because I, I don't it was a private conversation, but I was talking to a very, um, a department head of a very prestigious university in uh, the field of computing. And he was saying that they're encouraging more um, high school teachers that teach CS 
to co-teach it with like an English teacher. And I'm like, that's curious why. And he said, well, for the simple fact of ethics, he says, you know, uh, the average CS teacher may not think of these things or, you know, they're so excited about the tech that they're going to be teaching things. But at the same time, if the English teacher, A, the English teacher would be learning some basics of CS if they co-taught it, but also they could pause and say, okay, just because we can do this, should we do it? And I thought that was a really interesting, really interesting perspective. Right. Right. I, I agree with that. I think that uh, we have to evolve as a society in terms of our our culture, in terms of our ethics, before some of these advanced technologies should be unleashed. And uh, just because the ability to do harm is so much greater, you know, at this nascent point than when we have our ducks in a row, I, I so to say. Yeah. Well, I, I, I had a, a podcast guest earlier last year and uh, John McDonald, he, he had actually a very optimistic view on it. Um, and it basically went along the lines of, hey, when, when Caveman first discovered fire and we discovered the wheel, you know, did, did that innovation replace everybody? Because, you know, there's ho- this whole Wally effect. Like if, you know, if AI keeps doing this, will we just be served drinks and watch TV like they did in the movie? And his opinion was um, that as we evolve and as we innovate, we'll open up our eyes to new possibilities. You know, the, like we've always out innovated ourselves in a lot of jobs, but those realities became different realities and then we had different purposes. So he's kind of hoping that all these things of artificial intelligence will lead us to some sort of, hey, there's new opportunities or there's a chance for a better enlightenment or world peace or whatever, because we don't have to worry about some of the day to day grind of what could be done through automation. That's true. And, and you know, I, I share that that view as well, I think to some degree with, with, with caution, um, that I think that as we do develop technology, we will, we will realize that there are other uses that we can put ourselves to, you know, technology sort of, you know, has been stated as the art of so arranging a world so you don't have to experience it. Um, and I think that once we have that technology base in place, we will find other ways to experience the world. So uh, with that said, I think we will definitely retrain ourselves because, you know, one of the things, for example, I'm, I'm realizing that as we grow older and as we go towards retirement age and so forth, not working is as scary as anything else, as your, you know, change in your health or whatever. Um, because sitting idle at home is probably the worst experience you can have, in my opinion. You know, you're just not doing anything and being bored all day. Um, that drives a person to depression and, you know, anxiety and, and all kinds of outcomes than, than you know, than having uh, uh, poor health or something else. So I, I agree that we would definitely have to retrain ourselves to do to other things um, where the day-to-day mundanity of things can be taken over by, by robots. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping that's, that, uh, that you're correct. And so is John, that, um, you know, I... I the argument, if, if we don't have anything to do because all of our jobs are taken, it's a little bit short-sighted because you're just thinking of the jobs currently. Although this is one of my big educational pushes. Um, you know, I go to these educational conferences and they always have this statistic like, you know, 75% of the world's jobs um, that are, you know, first graders will take when they graduate don't exist yet. When I'm like, okay, who do you think is going to invent those jobs? Kids that are told to right. shut up? Or kids that are asked to, right. or kids that are asked to innovate and have time to innovate. Because I'm telling you, the, the the genetic code of you is rare. 
Like, you know, you, like your, your intellectual curiosity is off the chart. Like, I, I, like if, you're, if you're already a doctor, there's so much on your mind. You're like, okay, I'm good. I've got a good salary. I'm good. I'm just going to ride this wave on out. And I, don't, and, and I don't have a problem with people that want to live that way. I don't. Like, it, it's probably easier. Um, but the fact that you're like, okay, I've, I've mastered this one skill. What's next? Um, right. I want exactly to foster, right. foster that more in more students um, because, man, there's a ton of, well, I, I was going to say there's a ton of problems out there in the world, but I, I, I also see it as, man, there's a ton of really unique opportunities right now. I don't think there's ever been a better time to be alive. I mean, our skill yeah. set is always increasing. The cost of these skill sets is nothing. You just said a while ago, uh, you know, 10 years ago, what you wanted to do was going to cost $100 million. Now you can kind of hack it and then also learn and then compete with the big dogs. This is just a great time to be alive. What I really want to zero Absolutely. in on is your mindset. Like that, that's, that's everything, man. It, like literally, it's everything. We, the students that we have that are like, you know, they're waiting around for permission. Why? Well, I could never compete against the right. microsystems. Bullshit. Yes, you can. You can. That's absolutely. See, see, the greatest, the greatest barrier to doing something great is your own ability, is your own mindset thinking that you can't do it. That's the greatest barrier we have. We are able to do anything we want in this world. We can do the impossible if only we believe we can. You know, Nelson Mandela said it best. You know, everything seems impossible until someone invents it, and then you you, you sit by and realize how they did, how how they yep. how they actually did it. Yep. Um, so I think that we need to instill that mindset in our in our kids and and tell them, hey, you whatever you can dream, you can make, and you can build. And no, don't let anybody tell you otherwise, because they're going to be doubters, and it may take you time. But if you're skilled enough and you're motivated enough and you challenge yourself, you can get over any barrier. And that's how I feel. That's how I, I, that's how my companies are, are organized. We don't, we don't look back once we start, you know, the greatest failure startups have when they start is, is because they stop believing in themselves. You know, they lose the, they lose stamina and you can't do that. I think, um, you know, it may take you 10 years, it may take you 20 years, but eventually it'll happen. And if you just keep that faith, it, it, you'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. I, Amen. Atif, that was, yeah, that was amazing. I, 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 this is one of the reasons why uh, after Neil did the intro, I'm like, oh, I want to have this guy on. And, and, and this is, I hope this doesn't sound like a backhanded compliment, not for what you've invented, because I think that's cool. We could go, we could do another hour on this show on all the, the other things you've invented and come up with. And, and, and I dig that. But why I wanted to talk to you, what I wanted to talk to you about is what you just talked about, your mindset. I, I just, I think it is it's the mindset. single greatest thing that we can give to our children is having an entrepreneurial mindset. And, and I say, and I say entrepreneurial mindset. And I get people that, that call in or write into the show and they're like, Hey, you keep pushing entrepreneurialism. I'm not saying that everybody should be an entrepreneur, but everybody should think like one. Like if you're right. an hour, if you're an hourly employee, well, heck this is, uh, you know, uh, kudos to Seth Godin, linchpin, but it, it's it's also that linchpin mentality. You know, I, I think that are, there's a lot. Heck, most people aren't entrepreneurs. I get that. I'm not. I'm an entrepreneur. I have two business ventures, but right. I'm a school teacher. But if you're if if you think like one, because if you're an, if if you have the employee mindset, I'm going to keep my head down. I'm going to do as little as possible, and I'm going to take a longer smoke break. Um, like you don't care about the outcomes. 
and the and, and the right. mindset of I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge things. I'm gonna ask questions because I I think that it breaks my heart when I see people complain that everything's stacked against us. We'll never get we'll never get anywhere in this world. Well, then you won't. Yeah. Like game over. There, there are the leaders, and then there there are the, the people that walk behind them. I think we need to teach our kids to be leaders. I think that you know. A lot of people become complacent in their own little microcosm and they don't want to grow beyond it. They just think that's all there is to, to life and that's it. And they don't explore, they don't, you know, because they have never been motivated to do so. I think if we teach our kids, you know, uh, in a way that motivates them, that excites them about something, they'll become natural leaders. Um, but we have to instill that, that desire in them. And that's the challenge for education is how do you do that? How do you go from a didactic, um, you know, type of educational system to somewhere, something where everybody learns together in maybe a, a group classroom or something like that. Um, you know, that's the way I feel about education is, is we need to move away from this, the teacher teaches and the, t- the kids listen type of environment to where the kids are learning from each other, you know, yeah. and, and that's the best way to teach because the best way to learn is to teach something. Yep. Well, and I, I, I know that Neil kind of talked a little bit about what I do in the classroom, but this is why I do what I do. And, 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 it, and it kind of always makes me laugh a little bit. We have like in every major city now, the new cool thing, and it is cool. I'm not going to bash it, but the new cool thing is to have, you know, incubators, startup centers, co-working spaces, whatever you want to call them. Right. Um, although technically each of them are somewhat different anyway, but there's co-working spaces everywhere. Why? Because when people get together and collaborate, magic happens. Okay. And I always ask people, okay, so you know that there's a tax-funded collaboration center in every town in America? And they're like, what do you mean? It's called the high school. It's called the middle school. It's called the grade school. Oh, well, they don't really collaborate. Oh, I get your point now. You know, like, this is why I have an innovation class. And this is why I'm hell-bent on getting an innovation class. And it's an elective, but I want an innovation class for every single high school in America. because. When kids right. get together, now here's the hard part, okay? And, and then and I'm going to, full disclosure, and I'm not bad-mouthing some of my kids because they're great kids, but some of them still have that, um, you know, I've, I've probably got a 70-30 ratio. 70% of my kids get this mindset and 30% still struggle with it because they're waiting around for permission or what am I going to get on the grade? And instead of right. them saying, I'm going to tackle a problem, Oh, I get a grade for this. Cool. They start off with what's going to get me an A. Oh, do you want to assign me a problem? Um, and I'm, and I'm begging like anybody that's listening to, to this, this is why I'm also working with so many homeschools now. Um, homeschool parents see this, uh, the, the, the training of this mindset to not wait around for permission to go out and find problems instead of complaining about it is the biggest shift we can make in education. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. I think that the um, you know the notion of grades by itself is is where the problem is. I think we need to eliminate the need for grades and be, treat everyone as a learner that learns at their own pace rather than at a, some fixed interval that we we predefined. Yeah, yeah you know, but if it, we that's can gonna take get a time. to that stage. Well, yeah, but that's that's just yeah, the, it, it takes time because uh, so many. Have been indoctrinated on the carrot and stick, and so when you take away the carrot, they're like, "Well, what am I working for?" You're working for the sake of like. When I hear kids when they graduate and they go, "I'm out of here," what they're saying is, "I'm done with learning." Right. There can be nothing more toxic right. than that, ever. 
So I right, agree. Exactly. I, I want to get rid of grades, but I still have to sprinkle in uh, some things of, hey, this will reward you on the grade because there's still this myth that if you get excellent grades, you'll get into college and all your problems will go away. And that's another podcast right. episode on that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, 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 I agree. I want to get rid of grades as well, but gradually. Yes. It's hard to change from established doctrine, but you know, it's at least it's, it's a start. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to start somewhere. All right. Um, okay. So everybody now is just going, what in the heck this guy uh, tell everybody where they can find Atif Zafar. Well, I have um, um, a uh, I have several companies that I have. One is called Brain Technologies, B R A N E, BrainTechnologies.com, one word. And uh, my email is just Atif A T I F at BrainTechnologies.com. So I'm happy to um, get emails there. Another company I have is called Pixilica, P I X I L I C A pixilica.com and uh, my email again is atif at pixilica.com p-i-x-i-l-i-c-a.com and uh, i'm also on facebook and on linkedin so find me there all right well atif thank you so much um i've actually enjoyed just jamming out on uh, on some of these concepts but i'm in awe of some of the things you've started um i'm all in awe that you're self-taught and um Man, continued success to you, sir. Thank you very much, Don. It was a pleasure uh, being here and uh, all the best to you and look forward to hearing some of your other podcasts. All right, thanks. All right, there you go, Atif Safar. Now, I'm hoping you were inspired as I was on that episode, but here's the thing that I really, I mean talking about, really hope you do for us. Um, If this is bringing you value, you leave an honest review on iTunes or on SoundCloud or on Stitcher. Um, but the way we grow is that you either a share this to a friend or on Twitter, on LinkedIn, Facebook, and B some of the guests we're coming across are these hidden gems like you just heard. Uh, and so if you know of a person that is doing some really interesting things, has a great story, has a learning journey, uh, man, reach out to us. You can always reach me, Don at start And as always, the conversations usually continue and a lot of DMs come in on our Facebook page. That is facebook.com slash startedup. This is Don Wetrick reminding you that opportunities are everywhere. We'll see ya.